Happy Sunday and thank you for joining me today. Welcome to the Jeremiah Patterson Show. Excuse the raspiness in my voice. I apologize, but we are going to make it through. All right, so we're going to start tonight with a story. A story about, you know, a senator who pulled a political stunt in a midterm election year. Um, he was called Little Harry, or Young Harry, you could even say. And he was born in 1914 to the son of a prominent sitting Democratic U.S. Senator named Harry Bird. And Harry Bird was not like just, you know, like this run-of-the-mill ordinary senator. No, Harry Bird was like one of those senators you would hear like on like Face the Nation or CBS. He was an influential but also equally controversial senator in his time for many, many reasons. He was a staunch segregationist. He was completely racist. I mean, one of the things he literally advocated for was like, you know, not having racial integration. Like, yeah, I believe that blacks should be able to learn too, just not with the white kids. Different schools, different schools. We can all still live in peace and harmony, just different schools. This is the guy who literally worked on something called the Massive Resistance, which was aimed at blocking racial integration in Virginia schools, even after the U.S. Supreme Court ruled saying that, hey, guys, you literally cannot do this anymore. They ruled in Brown versus Board of Education that, hey, you cannot separate blacks and whites anymore. They must attend the same schools. You can no longer have separate institutions for them. So that was the staunchly racist, ineffable Harry Bird. And he passed away in 1966. Now, as I said, he had a son, Little Harry. And what ended up happening in that election is Little Harry ran for his father's Senate seat, and he won that special election. Little Harry was also racist, and he, you know, he said, why not just close down some schools? Who needs, who actually wants racial integration? And so he takes his father's Senate seat and becomes also, you know, somewhat of a political ruckus. And nothing is more evident of that, of that political disruption, that political dysmorphia, except, you know, even more evident when he does this in an election year, when he leaves his own political party in an election year. And this wasn't just any election. It was the midterms, the one that decides the control of Congress. He did this in the spring of 1970. It was in March of 1970. And both branches at the time were controlled by the Democrats. The House of Representatives, Democratic controlled, Democratic majority. The Senate, Democratic controlled, Democratic majority. And, you know, the Senate and the House and Byrd, you know, Byrd was a Democrat. He did this nine months before the election, the midterms. What Byrd did, he decided to, you know what? Hmm, you know, I'm going to change my party here. I'm going to change from a Democrat to an independent. Yeah, why not just make a major decision like that nine months before a consequential election in which the Republican administration that just won the White House in 1968 is looking for, you know, any gain that they can get in Congress in terms of like getting legislation through, you know, getting a majority. He switched from a Democrat to an independent. This is from the New York Times on March 18th, 1970. Quote, Senator Harry Byrd, whose family has ruled Virginia politics for 50 years, announced today that he was leaving the Democratic Party to run for re-election as an independent next fall. The decision by the 50-year-old 55 year senator marked the end of an 
era in Virginia political life added another chapter to the shifting story of party allegiance in the South and could complicate the issue of Senate control after the 1970 election. Political leaders in the Nixon administration were overjoyed by the senator's desertion of the Democratic Party. They regarded it as a great symbolic victory for the Republican Party, a harbinger of future similar gains and a vindication of their strategy aimed at winning over the South. End quote. Do you hear those subtle, you know, descriptions there, those subtle victories? It could complicate the issue of Senate control after the 1970 election. It's a great symbolic victory for the Republican Party. An easy, more feasible win for the South. That is what happened in 1970 when a Democratic senator left his party, left their party to become an independent. He did that nine months before the midterm elections. Nine months before. Nixon administration was overjoyed. Because, you know, let's say, hey, Republicans do well in the 1970 midterm elections. Well, hey, Senator Harry Byrd, you're an independent. Who are you going to caucus with, the Republicans or the Democrats? And I'm just going to ask you now, do you hear that sound? Do you hear those bells? Those very, very loud bells ringing. That is the sound of the not too far distant history of political shakeups like this. Because what Senator Harry Byrd did in 1970, nine months before the midterm elections, that political stunt he pulled, changing from a Democrat to an independent, has just been pulled off again by one of the most controversial, most high-profile, influential senators in Washington, in D.C., the indelible Kirsten Sinema. Kirsten Sinema. She's very unpopular. She is... I guess a political shakeup. Um, she also has, like, along with her colleague, Senator Joe Manchin, pulled out uh, of many various Democratic deals for the sake of bipartisanship. And she also sabotaged key bills like voting rights and also raising the minimum wage in the United States to $15. And also other bills. Earlier this year, Kirsten Sinema um, was censured by the Arizona Democratic Party. And last Friday, well, she pulled a Senator Byrd here, except it wasn't nine months before the midterm elections or even before the midterm elections. It was simply after we learned of who would be controlling the Senate and also the gains there as well. Because why not surprise the nation after a starkly close and imperative election? The 2022 midterm is one of the most consequential and important midterm elections of our lifetime. She switched parties from a Democrat to an independent. And like in 1970, this, you know, it could potentially, inevitably, maybe shake up the control of the U.S. Senate. Because while, yes, Democrats have a majority after winning in Georgia, securing 51 to 49, what does her leaving the party mean? Well, according to NBC News, she told the White House of this before she announced it. She will continue to caucus with the Democrats as an independent, but that could change. I mean, Senator could eat, excuse me, Cinema could easily become a political wild card, given her track record on lots of, you know, negotiations and past deals with Democrats and her behavior in the party. And when you're an independent, you technically have free political reign. You're not obliged to any political party, and you can't suffer political retributions from either. 
Um, essentially, you can decide to decide which party you're going to caucus with. For instance, Bernie Sanders is an independent, but he caucuses with the Democrats. And if you don't pay attention to politics, you could even confuse him for being a Democrat. But he is an independent. And the whole point is that if you're an independent, you owe nothing to any party. You don't have to compromise or vote with your side. You don't have to compromise or vote with one side of the political spectrum. You can stand on your own and not be afraid for it. You cannot, you can stand on your own and not be in fear of political retribution or being voted out. But of course, we will keep an eye on that for you. I will tell you that according to representatives, her leaving the party will not affect the control of the Senate, but we shall see. Now, I did tell you about that win in Georgia, incumbent Democratic Senator Raphael Warnock winning re-election there. Um, Raphael Warnock won re-election against Herschel Walker. Herschel Walker is the Republican in that race. Herschel Walker, you know, arguably one of the most controversial candidates of the 2022 midterm elections. Um, Mr. Walker, of course, prominently known as the zombie vampire guy, you know, in that one speech that went absolutely viral for being so bizarre and so insane that it was hard to believe, hard to conceive that, yes, oh yeah, this person is running for political office. It's also hard to conceive that a person like that running for political office actually conjured up votes so close that even the Georgia election, the Georgia runoff election, was closer than the initial one that happened in November. Given the zombie vampire speech... You know, I mean, that guy and also other some of the other crazy and just insane, incredulous stuff that he said, you know, that guy still conjured up that many votes. The Georgia election runoff on December 6th was still very close. That happened last week on Tuesday. That election was still quite close. And, you know, Herschel Walker lost that election. I believe it's like 50 to 49 in the last couple of votes. Raphael Warnock did win. But what we could have seen is, you know, a Senator Herschel Walker. Which would have been interesting and also terrifying for the U.S. Senate. What happened in the 2022 midterm elections is that Republicans believed that they easily were going to walk in and pull off a 1994, right? They were going to somehow conjure up so much support that they were going to take back not only the U.S. House of Representatives, not only take back the House, but they were going to take back the Senate. That is what Republicans were so politically ambitious and confident about walking into 2022, walking into the midterm elections on election week. That did not happen. All across the board, many election deniers completely lost. Democrats outperformed this election in most places, taking, you know, state legis taking over state legislators, winning victories there, winning multiple governor's races and defeating multiple, you know, election deniers and also trumped back endorsed candidates. For instance, Carrie Lake, she lost her bid to run to be the governor, the Republican governor of Arizona. She lost that to Democratic Secretary of State there, um, Katie Hobbs. Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer, she won re-election. 
So did Michigan Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson. So did the governor of New York, um, Kathy Hochul. I mean, we saw lots of challenges and we saw lots of Republicans losing. When it came to the U.S. House of Representatives, when it came to the House, Republicans expected to wipe the floor completely and have like this vast gargantuan majority in the House where it's completely indisputable in terms of what Democrats could try to conceivably pull off or do. That did not happen in this election. That did not happen. Democrats held, you know, mostly their own. Republicans gained like a couple of seats maybe, but the House is still close. The Senate, on the other hand, yes, the Senate now is 51 to 49. A sitting senator has changed her party from a Democrat to an independent, giving our political history in that country, giving political history on that front of senators changing parties in a midterm election year or even before or after. We will see what happens. That could be a shakeup. That could just be, you know, a regular political transformation. We will see what happens. But what I can tell you is that walking into 2023, walking into the next Congress, we are going to see some definite changes. Because yes, while this was not a red wave, this also was, you know, essentially a lot of change in this election. For instance, in Ohio, that Senate seat, Tim Ryan, the Democrat, did not win in that election. J.D. Vance won. He's a Trump extremist candidate. He won that election. He'll be a senator next year. It'll be Senator J.D. Vance walking into the 2023 Congress. So we are going to see lots of changes next year. Lots and lots of changes. Also, you know, the House Republicans, maybe they did not take the House in this big gargantuan bloodbath victory that they won it, but they definitely do have the House now. And although they may not pass substantive, meaningful Democratic legislation, they have the House. That means they have the committees. They control the committees now. And that is going to lead to a cascade of investigations. They have already announced, you know, investigations, you know, onto like Hunter Biden and stuff. Many other things investigating Dr. Fauci. Lots of other things. Investigating the Biden administration's pullout of Afghanistan. Expect lots of investigations walking into the 2023 Congress by the House Republicans. Now that they have the House and now that they have the committees and they control the committees, do not be surprised because they will not be afraid to control. They will not be afraid to yield that new power that they have gained. They will not be afraid with that power. These are lots of things to watch for as we're heading into 2023. It is going to be a politically interesting and wild year lots definitely to keep an eye on here. Another interesting thing to keep an eye on is the fact that we may not even know who the Speaker of the House will be for Republicans, because it appears that they are having, you know, a, you know, a political shakeup here. Um, According to CNN and just multiple sources, 
McCarthy, Kevin McCarthy, who's running to be the speaker, could fall short. Basically, what you need to become the Speaker of the House is 218 votes. Um, Republicans right now are preparing for a, you know, a, a doomsday scenario if McCarthy does fall short of that magical number. Quote, this is from CNN, as a right-wing faction threatens to tank his speakership ambitions, House GOP leader Kevin McCarthy delivered a promise, I'll never leave, making clear he has no plans to drop out of the race even if the fight goes to many ballots on the floor. I'll get 218, McCarthy told CNN, referring to the votes he need to become House Speaker. But Representative Andy Biggs of Arizona, a conservative hardliner who is challenging McCarthy to the be the most powerful member of Congress, doubled down on his commitment to stop California's Republican ascension. End quote. So, I mean, this could potentially happen. I mean, something like this hasn't happened since 1923, where they kept voting and voting and voting on the House floor until finally someone got enough votes to become the Speaker. Kevin McCarthy, I will tell you, in the party is, you know, essentially looked at as defective and weak. We will see what happens in that race. But, I mean, a lot is happening politically right now. Um, It is definitely a lot to keep your eyes on. Raphael Warnock once again winning that Georgia election, one of the most influential and empowering speeches for his victory speeches. If you haven't seen the full speech, it is definitely, definitely worth watching. Eyes open, heads up, stay focused. I love my new home. I always wanted a house with historic architecture, but it might be too Victorian. Gosh, interesting hemline on those pants. Yes, I do believe they're called pants. Pardon me. No, pardon me. At least Geico makes bundling my home and car insurance easy. I save so much. I have come to call upon- Just text me. Ah. While I'm heading up. (gasps) It's a ghost. For bundling made easy, go to geico.com. It's called self-care. Welcome back. So the 2024 midterm presidential elections are, of course, two years away. Um, 2022 is 14 days away from coming to, it's not 14 days, excuse me, 14 days till Christmas. But we're close enough to coming to a close in this year. Um, And that means we're heading into 2023, which will be just one year away um, from the 2024 presidential elections. And of course, one of the top contenders right now for the Republican side is former President Donald Trump. And I want to remind you of something um, that is very essential, of course. Um, This is um, chapter three from Henry Snyder's book on tyranny, 20 lessons from the 20th century. Um, He recently came out with a new graphic edition. My girlfriend bought this for me this summer as a little birthday present. And... um, It's more detailed than the first one, but this is what he says here for chapter three. Quote, beware the one party state. The parties that remade states and suppressed rivals were not omnipotent omnipotent from the start. They exploited a historic moment to make political life impossible for their opponents. So support the multi-party system and defend the rules of democratic elections. Vote in local and state elections while you can. Consider running for office. End quote. I was skimming through the book today as I was preparing for the monologue, and one of the things that struck me was um, this right here. It reads here, quote, The hero of David Lodge novel says that you don't know when you make love for the last time. Voting is like that. 
that you are making love for the last time. It says here, quote, some of the Germans who voted for the Nazi party in 1932 no doubt understood that this might be the last meaningful free election for some time. Most did not. Some of the Czechs and Slovaks that um, you excuse me, who voted for the Czechoslovak Communist Party in 1946 probably realized that they were voting for the end of democracy, but most assumed they would have another chance. No doubt that the Russians who voted in 1990 did not think that this would be the last free and fair election in their country's history, which thus far it has been. Any election can be the last. You hear what I just said that any election can be the last or at least the last in the lifetime of the person casting the vote. The Nazis remained in power until they lost a war in 1946. The Czechoslovak communists until their system collapsed in 1989. The Russian oligarchy established after the 1990 elections constitutes to function and promotes a foreign policy designed to destroy democracy, democracy elsewhere. Certainly the early Americans who spoke of eternal vigilance would have thought so. And then it has like a little graphic picture here. Does the history of tyranny apply to the United States? Well, yes, the history of tyranny definitely applies to the United States. It says here, quote, we certainly face as the ancient Greeks, the problem of oligarchy, even more threatening as globalization increases differences in wealth. Just go back to that last part there. Any election can be the last. Donald Trump is the Republicans right now, their top contender. Donald Trump just called for the termination of the U.S. Constitution because he still believes that the 2020 presidential elections were rigged. He still believes that, you know, he somehow won the 2020 presidential election and that, yeah, this is how some still a fraud. He should still be president right now. And therefore, the U.S. Constitution and all democratic systems that were part of this so-called steal should be terminated, should be thrown. He's running for president of the United States again, and he's calling for the termination of the U.S. Constitution, which is, you know, something that's completely anti-democratic. Donald Trump, of course, recently under fire for having a dinner with a white supremacist, which of course is not surprising. Also having dinner with Kanye West, who has recently made lots of anti-Semitic remarks, also pro-Hitler remarks as well. Um, I'm saying all of this just to tell you because Donald Trump calling for the termination of the constitution and having a dinner with a white supremacist who says we should have election in 2024 elect trump and then stop having elections i'm telling you this to essentially get you to focus on this to get you to widen your lens and not just become conformed to what is happening right now not just get comfortable to our current politics Yes, it's 2022. Democrats just had a great election year for the midterms. They pulled off some pretty stunning victories and held many races. They did lose the House, but narrowly, and they also kept the Senate. But we also should be looking ahead as well because the 2024 midterm election, presidential elections are approaching rapidly, and we should be keeping an eye on what is being said because, you know, any election, it says here, any election can be the last. 
And what this lets us know is that we should be keeping an eye on people like Trump, who are actively and continuously seeking to destroy democracy, even after they have lost elections, still proclaiming that they are the winner of a past election that is already gone, where a, you know, a rightful president has been installed into the White House because he rightfully won that election. We should be keeping an eye on actors like this. We also should be keeping an eye on the party that is continuously perpetuating this behavior. I mean, you know, Carrie Lake losing and like the Republican Party suing, you know, with her. I mean, it's it's not something that is distant for people saying, oh, is the Republican Party going to distance themselves from Trump after the 2022 midterm elections? No, they're still actively pursuing this. Every Republican who loses an election is now crying wolf because of this ideology that has been installed into the party that has been instilled that, oh, if a Republican loses an election, it must have been stolen. It must have been rigged because the Democrat won. That type of virile, that type of virulent, infectious politics is destructive to democracy's core. That type of erroneous information can be destructive for democracy. And what Timothy Snyder is talking about here in warning is saying, hey, be aware of a one-party state. Republicans are doing is whittling away democracy. So, you know, you can bolster your political party. It's not country over party, it's party over country. We are going to increase our political ambitions and our political goals for the benefit of us, not for the country. We are going to do whatever it is necessary. We are going to suppress your vote. We do not even need your vote. That is what Republicans are banking on right now. That is what they banked on for this election. And that is their motto. They are not changing. They are still the same party they were before this election began. We should keep an eye on the party. We should keep an eye on that. And we should keep that in our minds as we head to the polls in 2024. And as we watch this all play out, that yes, this very, very well could happen. Any election could be our last election. Republicans could very, very well easily, you know, become the main party in the United States. Democracy gone. Or it could, you know... Basically, what we need in a democracy is two functioning parties. If one party cannot function as a political party and is functioning as this hyper-partisan conspiracy theory field party, that is not a democracy. You get it? You're balancing with an insane party that you can't even call political or democratic, small d democratic party, with a sane party that is, you know, trying to get meaningful legislation passed, trying to do the bare minimum, trying to do a lot to keep democracy thriving and to keep democracy alive. What do you do in that instance? As a citizen, it is our job to watch that. It is our job to vote. It is our job to keep an eye on that and to investigate, to make sure that we are doing our jobs as citizens to keep democracy alive. Because what is happening right now in the Republican Party is this constant whittling away, this constant infighting, this constant toxicity. And while you may think that, oh, that's just a party thing, 
that's just something that, you know, they'll get over. Something to laugh about. If one political party falters in a democracy, that's, that's not good at all. It's destruction practically for the entire nation. It's, it's this democratic imbalance that you cannot have in a democratic republic. You must simply have two functioning democratic parties that are both wanting to fight for democracy, that are both wanting to do things for the good of the nation. If one of those parties is into conspiracy theories and hyper-partisanship and racism and xenophobia and to taking away people's rights regardless of, of a popular rule, what does that mean for us as a nation? How do we fight that? How do we counter that? Ask yourself that question. Hold that thought. This is how we do it. Turns out Montel Jordan knows how to do almost everything. And it turns out that Dremel is a quality insurance company that's been saving people money for nearly 60 years. For a great low rate and nearly 60 years of quality coverage, go with the General. Introducing Tide Power Pods. With Cat and Nat. I love how much I can stuff into these machines. But that is such a large load. Don't the stains sneak through? Please. New Tide Power Pods can clean that whole situation. You just toss it in before the close. It's like two regular Tide Pods and then some power and then even more power. With 50% more cleaning power, even your large load got clean. How many kids do you have? Girl, I lost track. There's a lot of kids. And then there's a husband. And then there's me. That's a lot of clothes. One of the things that Mr. Snyder talks about in this book is to investigate, um, to um, spend time reading longer journalistic articles, to spend time subsidizing your information, and to be careful where you get your information from, to be careful if you are getting your information from social media. Um, be honest with yourself here. When you get news, are you finding it out through TikTok? If you are finding out your news through TikTok, do you verify that information? Or do you like scroll through in the comments and just believe that and continue, you know, then spreading that information with other people? Do you believe the first thing that you see? If you see something on TikTok, do you then take that in as actual information? Or do you go verify it and read longer articles for yourself? So... This is part of what Mr. Snyder talks about in this book. Investigation, you know, remembering to investigate to be your own person. But he closes here with a very, very, very powerful point. He writes here, quote, on chapter 20, be courageous as you can. Quote, if the politics of inevitability is like a coma, the politics of eternity is like hypnosis. We'd stare at the spinning vortex of cyclical, cyclical myth until we fall into a trance and then we do something shocking at someone else's orders. The danger we now face is a passage from the politics of inevitability to the politics of eternity, from a naive and flawed sort of democratic republic to a confused and cynical sort of fascist oligarchy. The politics of inevitability is terrifyingly, is terribly vulnerable to the kind of shock it has just received. When something shatters the myth, when our time falls out of joint, we scramble to find some other way to organize what we experience. The path of a least resistance let leads directly from inevitability to eternity. If you once believe that everything always turns out well in the end, you can be persuaded that nothing turns out well in the end. Let me read that again for you. 
If you once believe that everything always turns out well in the end, you can be persuaded that nothing turns out well in the end. If you once did nothing because you thought progress is inevitable, then you can't continue to do nothing because you think time moves in repeating cycles. Some very, very powerful words here. He goes on, both of these positions, inevitably in eternity, are anti-historical. The only thing that stands between them is history itself. History allows us to see patterns and make judgments. It sketches for us the structures within which we can seek freedom. It reveals moments, each of them different, none entirely unique. To understand one moment is to see the possibility of being the co-creator of another. History permits us to be responsible, not for everything, but for something. The Polish poet Szyszka Mitsk um, thought that such a nation, such a notion of responsibility, worked against loneliness and indifference. History gives us the company of those who have done and suffered more than we have. By embracing the politics of inevitability, we raised a generation without history. How will these young Americans react now that the promise of inevitability has been so obviously broken? Perhaps they will slide from inevitability towards eternity. It must be hoped that they could instead become a historical generation, rejecting the traps of inevitability and eternity that older generations have laid before them. One thing is certain, quote, if young people do not begin to make history, politicians of eternity and inevitability will destroy it. And to make history, young Americans will have to know some. Part of what keeps a democracy functioning is, you know, history and the citizens knowing history. It's that resistance in which it's the history in which they know that helps the resistance efforts to such, you know, tyrannical actions. Chapter 20 here, quote, If none of us is prepared to die for freedom, then all of us will die under tyranny. End quote. It should not be lost that we have a Republican who is running for the president of the United, who's president, presidency of the United States, calling for the, you know, the termination of the U.S. Constitution. The question is, are we going to take that with a grain of salt, or are we going to take that seriously? Are we willing to go great lengths to protect our democracy? Are we willing to go as far as to actually investigating and reading things for ourselves? Are we willing to go as far as to voting and asking other people to come vote with us if they can't, you know, helping them get registered to vote? What are we going to do to protect this sacred democratic experiment? What are you going to do specifically as a citizen of this country? Thank you for listening to this episode of the Jeremiah Patterson Show. We're going to have a more detailed episode on this in terms of de protecting democracy and how to be a more informed you know, citizen in terms of civic obedience and in terms of, you know, civic action, which is absolutely necessary. Stay tuned for more episodes coming soon.